0: Coming up this hour on The Common Good, we're going to talk more about the coronavirus, and then we're going to talk about what does it mean to worship God in spirit and in truth. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey everybody. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined, as always, by Ian Simpkins. Glad to have you with us on this Tuesday. We said this all yesterday, but man, is it crazy! It's just everything's different. It's our new normal for hopefully just a couple weeks. Uh, but we are all kind of hunkering down, and we hope that the, that this show will give you a little bit of uh, not just things to talk about, but a little bit of a respite. Uh, as a reminder, you can find our show on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. Uh, while you're sitting in your house, a great time to listen to uh, old shows. Well, bud, how are you doing today? How has the day been of uh, mostly doing nothing, I suppose?
1: Why? Well, I, I I just got my Mad Max haircut, so I'm feeling good.
0: <laughs>
1: is that is that too esoteric a reference?
0: Is that- it is, but it made me laugh anyway.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and we're doing okay. I mean, it's funny. Um, I imagine kids of all ages manifest how stir crazy they are in different ways. Yep. And holy cow. The way a two and one year old manifests that they're done being indoors. <laughs> oh, so, I mean, yesterday I forget what they were doing, but my wife and I just kind of looked at each other. And we're like, they're going to drive us insane. Like they're, <laughs> they weren't even, they weren't even like upset, but they were just like, it, just behaving in in ways I'd never seen them behave. It yep. is, it's never a dull moment here at the Simpkins house. How are you guys, you guys doing?
0: We're doing okay today. Actually, started our kids' day of e-learning, so oh, it's like nice. the, it was like kind of a school day, and uh, they all handled it a little differently. But it, what was interesting is they were all kind of excited to get started. I think the normalcy and the schedule, uh, and just kind of the newness of it. I think they were actually kind of excited to do it. Also, nice to see the sun out this morning, yeah. and uh, you know, just a little bit of uh, uh, you know a little bit of normalcy. So, yeah, I mean, last night, everybody in my house was getting really stir crazy. And uh, like we're trying to find these moments of like, all right, let's go for a quick walk. Let's go. You guys, right. go outside together or whatever, just right. to keep it moving. So it is strange times, though, right now.
1: Did you see the, uh, the there's a tweet that went out? It said something like um, uh, been homeschooling a six year old and an eight year old for one hour and 11 minutes. Teachers deserve to make a billion dollars a year. <laughs>
0: I did not see that, but I I would concur. (laughs) And all these teachers are like, amen. (laughs) They're like, we're enjoying this. (laughs) Uh, I did see a tweet from a teacher or a Facebook post where she was actually like, uh, I wasn't prepared to say bye to my kids and I'm really emotional, like my school kids. And I was like, oh, I didn't really think of the tie that our teachers have to the kids that they've been with all year. And it's not to say they're not going to, you know, get back to school here at some point. Uh, But she said, I wasn't prepared to say bye either for the year or at least for this long amount of time. I found that really interesting and kind of endearing.
1: Well, we had Chris Lash on the show last week, too, and he he posted a video, a a brilliant video, I thought, but it was addressing the entire student body, but namely the seniors. Like a lot of these kids, you know, there was their last semester and your last semester senior year, your undergrad is like when you're getting a chance to say all your goodbyes, you know, before you head all over the world, like that that i know was a whole different level of like emotional weight because they were they were expecting to have all this time to you know make the most of the last semester and then all of a sudden it was like hey stay home or pack your stuff up you got to go like it was just it was yeah, you just can't thought, be here i i thought chris did a really great job but it was a whole different a whole different aspect that I hadn't really considered
0: yeah i did too i just remember my senior year second semester and that being so much fun and like right. you said it was like natural closure um yeah, it was crazy. Well, I don't know if you saw President Trump's um, uh, news conference yesterday on Monday. Yeah. Actually, it, it was funny. I don't tend to watch those things. And yesterday, I watched every minute of it. Like, that's kind of the where I'm at right now. Yep. And uh, a lot of, uh, you know, th- the gravity of everything, at least from a federal level, was really raised. And, and what they put forth were 15-day guidelines the guidelines being things th- that a lot of us are already doing, right? Don't leave your house unless you have to, right. uh, you know, don't travel if you don't need to um, stay out of bars and restaurants here in Illinois. Those have already been shut down right. some stuff about school. So stuff federally that we're already doing a lot in Illinois, but they're voluntary guidelines. And what's interesting uh, at Fox news, they had an article by townhall.com editor, Katie Pavlik, and she warned on Monday that if Americans do not follow voluntary guidelines meant to slow down the spread of the coronavirus, they will eventually be forced to comply. They will be mandated. So whether it be you know, closing the borders of states or a nation or other things, Uh, I guess I wanted to ask you first, how do you feel like we as a culture do with voluntary guidelines as you see pictures of beaches and bars and other things? (laughs) And then I'm wondering, so that first, and then I'm wondering, what would you think if these did become forced? And we have to comply to these things.
1: Well, I mean, it's hard to paint with such a broad brush because obviously a lot of people are really great at taking these voluntary directions.
0: Right. And, I'd say uh, the vast majority, right?
1: I, absolutely the vast majority. And again, I'm at a point in my life where I I take anything I see anywhere online or on the news with a grain of salt. So when I see these right. pictures of people at the beach, um, yeah, that's pretty frustrating. But I also my brain instantly goes, well, how many beaches are like this, though? Like, do they choose the one beach where this is still, yeah. th- like, I don't know. I'm trying to temper all of that because it feels like everything's so tumultuous right now, but in some ways it does. We talked about this a little bit yesterday. I think one of the definitions of privilege, right, is to assume something isn't a problem if it's not a problem for you. So these mm. people, I keep hearing people, particularly young people, say, hey, it's only affecting uh, the elderly and the vulnerable. I'm like, listen to what you're saying. Like, that's yep. That's yep. hey, that, that. I don't fit that camp, so it doesn't doesn't bother me like that. To me, is un- unfortunate, but I I think uh, the the involuntary, the mandatory stuff is at at this trend probably a little inevitable, isn't it?
0: It feels like it, and it was interesting before I touch on that. Doctor Deborah Burks, if you watch the news conference, she did a lot of the talking. Uh, it was really interesting. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. She went right it to millennials. Uh, And kind of tried to um, challenge them. She didn't yell at them. She tried to challenge them. She said that this you are the core group that will stop this virus. Hmm. Uh, She said it's in the interest of young people to take this seriously to listen what people are saying. Uh, and, And so she basically said, uh, you guys are the information people. You guys are the ones who feel, you know, invincible, like it's on you. And it was interesting because you and I talk a lot about millennials. It wasn't chastising. It wasn't talking down. She was actually kind of like going to their, uh, natural bent towards like mission and challenge. Like, mm-hmm. Hey, you can mm-hmm. do this. And I was like, that was a really interesting tack to watch her take. Uh, so you asked what would I think about the, uh, forced closures. I'm all for anything right now, man. Like if we're already going like 75% of the way, let's just go all the way. I'm kind of in that spot where it's like, tell everybody to shut down, do it for 30, whatever it's going to take. That's not going to allow this to drag on. Cause I feel like most of us have completely shut our lives down anyway. Uh, So I actually fall into the camp of like, go ahead, mandate it. Uh, Let's get everybody on the same page and fight this as well as we possibly can.
1: So are you surprised by your perspective there? Like hearing yourself say that you're like, wow, Brian Fromm, I did not anticipate being of that belief or that position. Or is that sort of like, yeah, that's my MO anyway.
0: That's my MO. I'm like, yeah. uh, I would never, like if somebody right now is like, hey, this isn't a big deal. Let's go out. I'm like, no way. Like we're already kind of shut down. And, right. and I, you know, it's not even so much that I trust the government, but these doctors that I watch talking, I'm kind of like, okay, If they're like, stay in, don't do anything uh, like let's heed that to the to the nth degree to try to give ourselves the best shot Hmm. uh, to kind of cut this off. So that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I can see that. So coming up next, we want to stay one more segment here on the coronavirus and want to talk about how political ideology is actually informing and kind of sometimes determinant of how we view the coronavirus. That's coming up next on the Common Good AM 1160. Hey everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, have we decided if alongside is it or we just give up on that? I'm not sure. I gave up on it. I don't know. <laughs> you didn't call your dad. You didn't want to go down that route. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I'm going to go with alongside. So alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us here on this Tuesday. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Twitter at Common Good Talk. Uh, find us online at 1160hope.com. As always, find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. And uh, as Ian likes to say, that helps us. We don't know how, but it kind of magically helps us <laughs> somehow. And uh, we are glad about that. So, an article to the Christianity Today uh, said this faith over fear. No, it's political ideology that keeps people unafraid of COVID 19. And so, Today uh, is still a primary here in Illinois. It's still the uh, the political primary. We're voting uh, the biggest one being on the Democratic presidential nomination. And so this article about politics I found somewhat interesting, especially since it was at the Christianity Today. And uh, here's basically the premise is that Democrats uh, in the whole lead up and even now have been and are a lot more. Um, on edge and uh, wanting to prepare uh, for the coronavirus outbreak than conservative Republicans. And so they Mm are saying it's not even necessarily based about faith or fear, uh, but it is around political ideology. And, Ian, I know that we don't normally, we've kind of come to the point where we're not surprised by anything with political ideology. But with that said, I'd ask you, does it surprise you uh, that even something like a pandemic kind of splits down along uh political lines.
1: I yeah, I think probably to be fair to every end of the spectrum and the diversity even of our own audience. That's right. I don't I don't know necessarily that it's the pandemic that people are divided on, it's the legitimacy of the claims of the pandemic. I think if there was I'm trying to think of something more concrete. I don't know that that's even a possibility anymore at a global level to be honest. So I think that's mm. part of what at least anecdotally what sort of I'm hearing is people are arguing the source or the data or the references or the chart or whatever it is. They're sort of like, yeah, but if you compare that to, you know, 10 years ago, if you compare that to this other virus, you compare that to, that tends to be the back and forth. I think it's, more, it's less about um, believing that the the pandemic is what it is, but I think it's, it's more about
0: disbelieving this, the particular sources. Yeah, that's a good point. I I think that one reason I was saying when I read this article, I was trying to think where would be, you know, what, what would be driving this and, you know, to jump into the political sphere, uh, many people, especially who, who are big fans of President Trump. So on the Republican, on the conservative side, what have we been hearing for four years? We've been hearing this mantra of fake news, fake news, fake news, right? Right, right. And so when even subconsciously, Uh, some people, it's very conscious and very out there. But even for people who, uh, you know, that slow drip have begun to believe it. Well, then when something big happens like this, and you turn on a CNN, right, and they're telling you X, Y, and Z, what is your first thing? Sadly, for a lot of people, it's ah, fake news, fake news. And, uh, you know, we're going to fake news ourselves right into a really bad spot. And now I'm very thankful actually watching yesterday, a lot of people would say it took too long, but President Trump felt like he finally kind of had the gravity of what's going on and talking about it. Hmm. But but even that delay uh, in a lot of people, uh, I wonder if it's tied into this concept of that. We've been kind of hurling fake news back and forth for so long here.
1: Yeah, that's gotta be part of it. And I mean, you also got to remember that someone like president Trump has an entire team of advisors that, you know, he is choosing to believe or disbelieve. Um, I can't, even pretend to try to imagine what those conversations must look like or sound like. And I, I would encourage you, I mean, head over to the Facebook page and, and read this article. As you mentioned, off air, it's a lot of stats, it's a lot of data, but it is, if you think back, even to the very beginning of this show, we talked a lot about confirmation bias and echo chambers. And I, I think what we're experiencing right now as a nation, a world is like a real time example of how easily we're caught in some of those things. And and to to see the data both politically and religiously with regards to something that's kind of happening right now in real time is is pretty fascinating.
0: Yeah, uh, Josh King, it says here, a pastor at an Arkansas church, says provided a timely example uh, when he told the Washington Post, "In your more politically conservative regions, closing this is about closing churches is not interpreted as caring for you. It's interpreted as liberalism or buying into." the hype. And you saw some of that there this past Sunday, there were some rather big churches down more down into the Bible belt and down South who not only kind of still met, but they flaunted meeting, right? right. Like uh, we're going, there was that one and it was from a revivalist and he made his congregation turn around and shake hands with everybody. Cause we right. will not give in to fear. We will not give into this hoax. You know, every time you hear the word hoax, it kind of makes me cringe. Uh, so I feel like hopefully there's less and less of that, but the fact that it's still out there, Uh, And I know just like we talked about in the first segment about the picture of the beaches, you can always find craziness (laughs) and kind of almost make it normative. Um, But, but it is interesting what's going on politically and in churches. And uh, also there's a lot of these churches. Let me ask you this one. We talked a little bit about this yesterday as I read some of the writings of some pastors who are like trying to, Uh, Almost call this a hoax, or this or that. They keep bringing up. We're not supposed to be afraid. We're not supposed to have fear. Yeah. Uh, How would you answer that if somebody in your church is like, "Hey, Pastor Ian, I'm not supposed to be afraid, and so we're just going to keep living our lives the way we normally do."
1: Yeah, we talked a little bit because there's a lot of passages. It's the most common command in all the scripture: "Do not be afraid. Do not fear." There's also outright instructions, particularly in the New Testament letters, to not be anxious or to not fear. Uh, But I, I don't think that means don't take precautions. I think you can be both um, courageous and firm in your faith and still want to take the necessary precautions. It's the same thinking behind a lot of the, you know, know, historically those churches where they would handle snakes as sort of a flaunting of our lack of need for fear. That's right. The same thinking could be applied like, well, I don't need to wear seatbelts because I don't need to be afraid of, you know, what could potentially happen to me if I was, you know, in a car accident. I am really interested though, in the perspective of the person, I'd love for you to respond to this because yes, there's a lot in scripture about not fearing. However, I'm of the personal theological belief that it, it is still smart and wise to, to use the the brains God gave us. Yeah. And, and we don't always use them necessarily well, but I think Galileo said that I have a hard time believing that the God who would give us intellect would, uh, would be in favor of us foregoing their use. Like I think, oh, that's, but like, what would you say to the person that, yeah, the, I want to be a rational person, and I also want to stand firm in my faith, and I recognize that something is happening, but I think it's being blown out of proportion. What do you say to the Christ follower that's like, I don't think full-on hoax, but I do think that there's maybe some fear-mongering or that it's being sensationalized a little bit? What do you, what do you say to that person?
0: Yeah, like you said, I would, I would point them to the increasing stats, I would say, hey, just look at what's going on and go to the places like the CDC and those types of places. If you don't trust CNN, then don't go to CNN, you know? Um, right. And, and I think you framed it around fear really well yesterday. It's kind of stuck with me, just the reminder that, yeah, we're called over and over and over again to not fear, but always it's given a reason. And that yeah. fear being the presence of God, not that we are never going to have a problem in our life or never <laughs> can't right. catch a virus. And I've also appreciated how churches are just framing this around love your neighbor. Like what, what can we do for our elderly neighbor, for our, uh, not even the elderly, just the people around us. It's right. to heed the call to stop this. So man, I'm always impressed. You always pull quotes out of nowhere. <laughs> Galileo. That was impressive. <laughs> that was impressive. Cause I think that's yeah. a great one. Like God, God gave us a mind for a reason. Yeah. And, uh, I would say that we're past the hoax stage of this. If you're still out there going hoax, um, I I need you to go read some stuff (laughs) to start kind of engaging. And uh, yeah, so coming up next, uh, we are going to, for the first time this week, we're going to go do a story that doesn't have to do with the coronavirus. We're going to talk about the Southern Baptist Convention and something that happened with a pastor that's created some outrage. That's coming up next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hopefully. Hey, all. Welcome back to The Common Good. I am 1160 Hope for Your Life alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. We're grateful to have you joining us on this Tuesday afternoon, whether you're in your car, driving around, maybe you're at home, uh, kind of uh, doing what a lot of us are doing through this coronavirus pandemic that we are just kind of hunkering down with our families. Crying. What's that? crying crying (laughs) Ian is in Ian is rocking in the fetal position in the corner as his two-year-old and one-year-old dominate him (laughs) is is that what you
1: were referring to what we're all doing right now
0: no okay (laughs) Uh, what we're gonna do for Wednesday's show is we're just gonna put a microphone in your living room
1: (laughs) wow that is not a social experiment I think anyone
0: is interested in I will social distance myself from that show. Yeah, right. No kidding. <laughs> oh, that's wild. <laughs> uh, yeah, we hope you're doing well. Uh, and uh, you can find these articles that we're discussing. You can find all this stuff on uh, our Facebook page, the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. And uh go to Twitter at common good talk. You can go online, 1160 hopecom And as always, get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. And uh, we're grateful for those who of you who are podcasting. We'd love to hear on the Facebook page just how you're managing. Like what are you doing to pass time? Yeah. Uh what is your structure? Like we've been telling our church, and I know I, I saw some of uh, the video that you put out for your church the other day. Uh trying to help our churches build some community still, even not in the face of people like being face to face with people. And we we would love to see that happen as well with our common good audience, you know, still yes. talking, still doing that. Um, and so uh, are you seeing, I guess, uh, are you hopeful that your church will be able to pull that off with some good community, even if it's online over text and other ways?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, there's an amazing team that's been sort of thinking about all of these things since day one, I mean, not just from like a pastoral perspective, but also from a technological one. I, I just think there's a lot of really good, it'll, it'll be anyone's guess how it actually executes. I think there's, I mean, I've been, you and I have both, uh, we've been big proponents of like the importance of physical yeah. in person. So like this will be a tough season in that regard. Um, but I think technology affords us to to do quite a lot when it comes to, to prayer and worship in conversation and community and discussion and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, uh I'm really hopeful that our, our team will, will put together some stuff. That'll be great.
0: People <laughs> don't do too good a job because people might be like, Hey, I kind of enjoyed this more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's always the danger for sure. <clears throat> Like, that would, be a, that would be an unfortunate consequence of this if we see sad people when we, like, start meeting again. <laughs> I like listening
1: to your preaching better when it was just online. Like,
0: oh. <laughs> yeah. I really enjoyed you a lot more there. Uh, well, a big right turn. We 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 made the conscious decision not to do all coronavirus outbreak. We're going to do some more later in the show. And for those of you who are like, okay, enough already, this is kind of, my wife and I were talking last night, like our grandkids will study this in history class, like this month and next month and whatever's coming. Like this is undoubtedly something that our children will remember till the day they die. Like this is a huge, enormous deal. So uh, I think we need to get our arms around that and remember that. Um, But I I did want to touch on a couple different other things in the news. And one of them was at the Christian post and I'll, be honest with you. This is a hard story, but it is one that you and I, I, one like it that you and I have wrestled with in the past. So let me read the beginning of this. Uh, Reverend Daryl Gilliard, a registered sex offender and protege of former Southern Baptist Convention President Paige Patterson, is under fire for getting back into the pulpit after serving time in prison for molesting two teenage girls. Victims and critics alike say Gilliard, who is now the new pastor of Mount Ararat Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, should not be holding the office of pastor due to his past. Our phones are ringing off the hook. Lynn Jones, an editor for the Jacksonville Free Press, said, uh, concerned about Gilliard's past. Members of Mount Ararat, they're totally upset, and a lot of them are subscribers to our paper. It remains unclear if Gilliard failed to share his past with his new flock, and calls made to the Christian Post by the Christian Post to the church seeking comment on Wednesday were not answered. So for 14 years as background, Gilliard served as pastor of Shiloh Metropolitan Baptist Church, where he fell from grace, that's a quote, He was arrested in 2007, and in 2009, he pled guilty. He was sentenced, and the state designated him as a sex offender. Gilliard's case featured prominently in, you might remember, the Houston Chronicle investigation of sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention last summer, which reported he was mentored and assisted by Patterson amid allegations of sexual misconduct at churches in Texas uh, and Oklahoma. So I will stop there. man, we've had this conversation before, but it never ceases to amaze me uh, that, uh, that we start allowing people back into the pulpit and back into leadership. And there's, there's so many arms to this story. But when you hear it, what is kind of your first reaction?
1: Yeah, man, you mentioned it is a heartbreaking story. This kind of stuff weighs so heavily on me. It makes me sad. It makes me Angry. I I want to be really careful to to be sure that we're clear that we absolutely believe in grace, in forgiveness, yes. in healing, in all of those things. None of that equals reinstatement into pastoral ministry. That's right. There there is such a thing as disqualifying yourself for leadership. I'm not saying you couldn't still absolutely be a part of a growing, thriving church and maybe be a greeter maybe be like there's opportunities to serve to be an active member of a local expression but to but to be in leadership uh, to me i just think about what message does that send to the people i mean the article goes on to talk about like what it was like to to see your offender on tv or see their sermon online like just thinking about how how awful that must be and the subtext that the church's decision sends to the people, the victims, and then, you know, allegedly, apparently dozens, hundreds of other uh, alleged cases that I I think, I don't know, we've just got to do better. And I think it is, it is so heartbreaking to me that we still have stories
0: like this at all, to be honest. He said in, t- in 2014, Gilliard told First Coast News that he's changed. Of course, I believe I've changed, he said, but time will tell everyone if I have changed. I'm a believer in when you do something wrong, you pay the price. But do you pay the price forever? He asked. Uh, James Andrews, one of Gilliard's longtime supporters, said that he trusts Gilliard and believes he's changed. He said, I was certainly disappointed, but I prayed about it like I try to do about everything, and I forgave him. When asked if he'd felt comfortable trusting Gilead around his children, Andrew said, yes, I would. I wouldn't have any problems at all trusting Pastor Gilead around children. And that's where this gets scary for me. Uh, I think you said it really well. Uh, We believe wholeheartedly in forgiveness, grace, um, and that people change. But but some reason in our church culture, especially around pastors uh, who have been really dynamic and had some sort of... um, stage, if you will. Uh this this desire to not for you just forgive and show grace, but to put them back in the pulpit is really confusing. Uh right. and I think you like I just said you put it well that you know what you we can we can show grace, forgiveness. We can we can even celebrate that and cheer that on. Absolutely. Uh, but restoration into leadership and ministry's got to be different. And uh that these stories happen over and over again, I will I will uh, tell you we're going to do another one of these types of stories tomorrow about somebody much more local uh, is just, oh, it's, I find it disheartening. It's just, it's sad and disheartening. And like you said, the people who have been abused by these people, uh, it must be so difficult for them.
1: I, I can't even imagine that. That breaks my heart in so many levels that I think, at the very least, I hope this story, people maybe be asking them, well, then why bother doing stories like this at all? I'd rather focus on the positives. I'd rather focus on the positives too, to be honest. Right. But right. it's it's important for us to, to know and be mindful, not only that this happens, um, but to have our eyes open and to be prayerful and to hopefully, you know, push back and speak truth to power
0: where necessary, exactly. because I think this is one of those situations. Absolutely. So coming up next, Gospel Coalition wrote an article that says, what does it mean to worship God in spirit and truth? We're going to talk about that coming up next year on The Common Good AM 1160, hopefully. Welcome back to the Common Good AM 1160 Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian From. We are glad to have you uh, with us on this Tuesday. As we've been saying over and over again, it's a it's a different time. It's a different day, Uh, but we're hopefully still able to provide you some content that uh, either helps you process what's going on around us right now with the coronavirus pandemic, or give you a little bit of a distraction and some other things. To think about, So we're glad you're joining us. You can continue the conversation with us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. Twitter at Common Good Talk. Online, 1160hope.com. And as always, you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. And uh, we are really thankful for those of you who listen on the podcast. This probably goes without saying, but let me remind you also, in the past weeks, we've been talking about this Andrew Peterson concert happening at the end of March. That is no longer happening because of all that's going on with the coronavirus pandemic and everything uh, being canceled, not being in big crowds and social distancing. So uh, we're sad about that. That was going to be a great concert, uh, but just trying to follow the guidelines of what we've been told uh, to do. The Gospel Coalition talks about what does it mean. Sam Storms at the Gospel Coalition talks about what does it mean to worship God in spirit and truth, something a lot of us have wondered out of John 4. Ian and I are going to talk about that here in a second, but before we do... Ian wants to tell us a few things about Thrivent.
1: That's right, Brian. Did you know that joining the team at Thrivent makes you immune to the coronavirus? <laughs>
0: Sign me up. <laughs>
1: no, 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 no. I probably legally have to say that's not true. I'm just going to say that. But uh, I, I've been a Thrivent member for a long time. I love Thrivent. They're a Fortune 500 down-for-profit company that does incredible work in the world. That's part of why I want to be a part of the team in general, just because of how much they give back. But uh, you might be looking for a career change. In fact, maybe all this time at home has got you thinking about your trajectory or your current job or, or whatever. Either way, uh, if you're good with money or you want to come alongside people in their wise with money journey or you're even just like remotely interested, I want to encourage you to head over to Thrivent.com slash careers. That's thriventcomcom slash careers and just check it out. See if it might not be a good fit because – uh I think it's an incredible organization doing really, really great work in the world.
0: And you might just find yourself in a, uh, in a really great place. Yeah. And thrive. It's more than just financial planning and stuff like that. But even think about right now, all that people are going through. Yes. Uh, You know, like obviously financial fears are a little bit of a back burner, uh, but for people who, for whom that can be possible. um, But for some people it's right in the front burner, but you know, you see these things about the stock market crash and this and that you, a lot of us are going, man, I wish I had somebody to talk to somebody who can help me kind of navigate all this stuff. I think Thrivent would be a great place to call.
1: And and not just, you know, someone to talk to, like, it's, it's been interesting, too. It's someone that um, will share the, your, your faith perspective, too. Like, I cannot overestimate how important it is to have someone who, like, gets the faith component. And I'm yes. not knock, I'm not knocking other institutions, but like, there is a different, there's a different element when you get like, the way that I want to posture myself toward money. I want to be generous. I also want to be wise, you know, that kind of stuff. I don't know that an organization like that is uh, you're totally right with all of what's going on in the world. It's a perfect opportunity to reach out.
0: Absolutely. So that's at Thrivant. You can check them out. And uh, yeah, this is, this is a timely time to think about connecting with uh, Thrivent. So over at the gospel coalition, uh, Sam Storms uh, wrote an article called, what does it mean to worship God in spirit and in truth before we read that, not to put you on the spot, but how have you ever explained that to people or tried to preach that? What, when Jesus says in John chapter four, the Samaritan woman, that the father is seeking men and women who will worship him in spirit and in truth. What are some things you always have to say about that?
1: You know, I, I always say um, that it is sort of, it's a bullfand on on purpose. Uh, I also think like this passage it's such an interesting encounter. I think one of the elements that's often overlooked because there's this miraculous kind of moment where Jesus knows more about the woman's life than she realized, and she runs and she tells everybody. Um, but there's an interesting moment where she tries to distract Jesus hmm. and say, uh, "Hey, well, some people say we should worship over here, and others say we should worship over there." Like she's she's trying. It feels like she's trying to change the topic, and that's when Jesus makes this comment about spirit and truth he's kind of like he's he's ripping worship from its strictly localized context it's like it's, gotcha. it's ultimately not just about this hill or that hill this temple or that temple he's saying spirit and truth there is a a mobility to that that i always found so interesting because he he kind of doesn't even answer her question because you know and i think how, what a timely discussion that is because so often we get hunkered down, like, oh, do you worship here or there? Are you part of this yeah. denomination or that denomination? Um, the spirit and truth piece, his response to her question, her sort of theological question, as she's trying to divert attention away from her, like, personal issue, uh, to me, I just think is, I think is a really fascinating encounter. And I, I love teaching on this passage, too.
0: It's one of my that, favorites. Oh, I like that. So uh, Sam Storms here, you use the phrase both and. In the middle of his article, he uses that exact same phrase. He says it's a both and. Let me read this section. Some prefer to worship only in spirit, but couldn't care less about truth. In fact, they think focusing on truth has the potential to quench the spirit. Hmm. The standard by which they judge the success of worship is the thrills and chills they experience. Now, make no mistake. Worship that doesn't engage and inflame your emotions and affections is worthless. Jesus himself criticized the worship of the religious leaders in his day by saying that they, whereas they honor God with their lips, their heart is far from him. So storm says true worship must engage the heart. The Mm. affections, the totality of our being, Mm. but any affection or feeling or emotion stirred up by error or false doctrine is worth Worthless. Others prefer to worship only in truth and are actually offended when they or others feel anything or experience heightened emotions. Mm. Not long ago, Storms wrote, I heard one evangelical pastor say, I often wish that we wouldn't sing or have music, but that I could simply see and say the words of the lyrics that express biblical truth. I don't like being distracted by the emotions that rise up in me when we sing with to musical accompaniment. I couldn't believe my ears by all means. Let us sing only what is true, but to do so without affection and feeling uh, and heartfelt emotion is unthinkable. Storm says, perhaps you've seen this statement by John Piper. One worth seeing, uh, seeing again, truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy and a church full of artificial admirers. On the other hand, emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates shallow people who refuse the, di- the disciple of rigorous thought. Hmm. Uh, but true worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine. Strong affections for God rooted in truth are the bone and marrow of biblical worship. What do you think of all of that?
1: Gosh, I think that's really wise. I'm regretting going first now. Um <laughs>
0: No, I like what you had to say. <laughs> I mean, just
1: just hearing his perspective, I'm like, gosh, I could have used this ten years ago when, I, <laughs> when yeah. I was preaching on it. It does. It is interesting to me. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick one particular point that you made um, because I do hear it a lot. I hear a lot of the uh, "don't be emotional in worship" yes. commentary, and without getting too caught in the weeds, like God is emotive, like no doubt. Just do a Google search of God's emotion. Um, and you'll, I think you'll be really, really fascinated. Now that's not to say uh, that being overly emotional, the problem is, you know, who defines overly emotional or sensational or, you know, all that. There, there's a lot of debate in the particulars there, but to, to assume at all though, that like emotions are something, especially in worship, they were supposed to like suppress and keep away. So I can just sort of like, I need to enrich my brain. That's a very yeah. Western post enlightenment way of coming at worship. And I think, the idea here, among other things, is that God is interested in like an entire holistic embodiment. And I think it ties into what I was saying, too. It's less about this building or that building. It's about spirit. and tr- It's the whole person, and you can do it wherever you're at. Um, I think it's also a really important reminder in our very interesting times right now that while the people gathered physically is so important, we can worship in spirit and truth wherever we're at right now.
0: And I think that's an incredible invitation. Absolutely. So you can read that article out of the Gospel Coalition at our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. Well, the first hour is in the books. Uh, Stay with us as we continue uh, talking about all sorts of things here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hey,
1: everyone. It's Ian Simpkins here. And I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett. And me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities? And Thrive and Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible— But they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrivent, to actually be wise with money, to live generously, and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more.
0: Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about an interesting post I saw on Facebook about the church and the coronavirus, and then we're going to talk a little bit about Jerry Falwell. That's coming up next on The Common Good. everybody, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you staying with us on this Tuesday afternoon you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Find our podcast uh, wherever it is you get your podcast. We are grateful for those of you who podcast. Go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. And uh, like we said, things are, things are strange right now. Uh, things feel uneasy. A lot of us out there with uh, some anxiety and some nerves, but uh, hopefully uh, we're doing this together. We're able to do this uh, together, and uh, hopefully this show is providing you Uh, some help. Uh, I thought of this, you know, uh, kind of a weird thing. I don't know if you saw this morning, the news uh, about Tom Brady saying he's not going back to the Patriots. Yeah. And, uh, and like, This is going to sound really odd. Tell me if this makes sense. A, that's really big sports news, but it was really nice to have sports news as like a little bit of a distraction. And I know that doesn't make everything okay around us, but there was like this normalcy to watch sports shows talking about Tom Brady and this and that. I kind of like was like, oh, I missed that. I don't know. Does that sound weird?
1: No, it doesn't sound weird at all. You'd mentioned this yesterday, uh, how hard it was to even find stories that weren't coronavirus yeah. related. I, I'll even have that same experience when I'm mindlessly scrolling through Facebook, you know, as sometimes people do.
0: Uh, <laughs> as one does. <laughs> you're just
1: Yeah, you just get so used to every single post having something to do with the virus or quarantine or something. And, yes. then, and then somebody like wishes somebody else a happy birthday. And you're like, oh, oh that- <laughs> That's so nice. Like those,
0: those are still happening. Yeah, I'm saying
1: just the most like normal average post. I don't know if anyone listening has that same experience where you're like, "Oh, a, a crack in the cloud." It's like just a moment of exactly like normal interaction. It is it is it's weird. It's weird that it's weird though, and that's what I think is is so jarring.
0: Yeah, I I think I mentioned this yesterday, but being on Twitter, Twitter has always been something for me that it's like full of sports news and pastors and like just kind of somewhat mindless or catching up on the day. And now it's hard to go on because it's like one after the other and as it should be like this is a big deal going on around us. But uh, just that little I think you put that well, that little uh, crack in the clouds of even for me watching this, you know, this quarterback, Tom Brady, going to another team, you're like, oh, okay, sports news. I kind of kind of could use that for like five minutes right now.
1: Is there like two reactions in your brain like, oh, it's refreshing to read that? And then the second reaction is like, wait, wait, what? <laughs>
0: yeah, I, 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 I think if it was yesterday or the day before, I would have had the what. And now I'm just like, okay, nice. Thank you. <laughs> uh, interesting. <laughs> because everything in sports and I'm I have a huge sports fan but everything has been like this is canceled this is canceled again appropriately so but you're just right. kind of like oh my son and I we were uh, looking at old videos yesterday old DVDs of games and I'm like here's we're going to let's watch this full game let's watch this one on YouTube we're like wanting, we're going to watch old <laughs> full games <laughs>
1: i saw a lot of people doing that actually i think that's pretty interesting i wonder if the when you mentioned earlier in the first hour there's going to be this is certainly going to make it into textbooks. Like kids are going to be learning about this in school. I wonder if there will be any aspect that we sort of reignited a love of nostalgia. Like during this time, people are going back and they're not, not just even in the sports world. they're going back and they're rewatching old concerts because those are canceled or Mm. they're going through photo. I just wonder what the role like memory and nostalgia is going to have. That's interesting. Back on this. You know, I think
0: that's interesting. Absolutely. Uh, So the coronavirus and all that's going on in our culture and our country is what's dominating the news. Let me read to you a Facebook post that I saw. This is now two days ago. So March 15th. Uh, Let me read it and then I will tell you who wrote it. Here we go. What a remarkable experience it is to see these different expressions of church streaming their services all over the world. So, again, as I said, this post was written on Sunday. Uh, as we were seeing all these different people streaming their services because they couldn't gather. The church is not a building. It's the people. Services may be canceled, but worship isn't canceled. Prayer isn't canceled. Hope isn't canceled. Love isn't canceled. Church isn't canceled. We won't change the world by going to church. We'll change it by being the church. Text neighbors, share prayer requests, visit neighborhood Facebook pages for needs, Give a digital high five to the people on your teams and churches that made live streams possible today. They've had one heck of a week. That Facebook post was written by a local pastor by the name of Ian Simpkins. So Hey, I know him. uh, Let me first say, really well written, man. And you and I have talked about this already. Let me ask first what spurred that post? And then I want to ask you about a very specific part of it. But what even, you know, you don't post out of a vacuum. It's kind of going on inside of you. So what spurred that?
1: Yes, probably a couple of different things. One, uh, I was just seeing everyone talk about a little bit of panic around everything that was being canceled, you know, and sort of the, the impetus for the cancellation was like, well, we're not going to do anything. It was sort of this like hands off, everything's canceled, everyone stop talking to each other, stop what you're doing. Um, And I, I was just really interested, especially after watching our live stream services and watching people. Interact online, we have uh friends in Michigan two hundred forty two church and they had like four or five baptisms like they like it was just really yeah it was it, it was incredible, and I thought, man, we might have to close the buildings for a while, but the spirit of God is still clearly on the move, mm-hmm. and like the stories still that are coming in from this last weekend. The other thing too, and this is this can be a little bit of a like a pastor eye roll moment because i you know I'm often trying to bang the drum they're like, hey, the building matters. Mm-hmm. It's really important. It's not the church, yeah. And and I think this last weekend was like a real time expression. Like I'm watching globally. Like I had like four or five different streams going, just watching what other friends are doing all over the world. And I was like, "Were you is, really?" Yeah, this might be the beginning of something incredible. Like we had, you know, eight times the viewership we normally do online. Like it just was wild. I thought, man, wouldn't that wouldn't that be just like God to use? to use something that's freaked so many of us out uh, ultimately to help people find their way back to him. And I, I I just wanted to remind people that, man, even if a building needs to be closed, like we're still the church. We still have an opportunity to be the hands and feet, not just on a Sunday morning experience, but to our neighbors, to our neighborhood, to local businesses. Like there's a real opportunity here. We, we don't have to just simply hunker down in fear. We can still be cautious, but uh, I just wanted to, I wanted to kind of paint a vision of like what, could be god's call on our life in the midst of all this chaos you know
0: that's awesome let me get let me read your specific line okay uh we won't change the world by going to church we'll change it by being the church you just touched on it a lot there but Uh, unpack that a little bit more. How do we change the world in in this, what's going on right now by being the church? Helps people understand that difference.
1: Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, you know, people we've read multiple times in the last year are skeptical of religion and church structures and not without good reason, to be honest. Um, But I think when when you talk about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus, to live in the ways of Jesus, it's not just about finding your chi, you know, or having a more balanced life. It's also about like bringing healing, redemption, and restoration wherever we go. And there are small ways that we can do that by like texting, you know, elderly neighbors or supporting local businesses. There's also obviously much bigger ways to do that. But at the very least, I think attending something on Sunday is really important. I absolutely believe in the regular weekly consistent gathering of God's church. And I said this two Sundays ago, uh, I love what we do on Sundays, but it's the push, not the point. Like Mm. it is the, it's preparation to live on mission out in our neighborhoods, out in our communities, out in our families. And you know, when we, I read from Ephesians four, where he talks about the, the role of the apostles and the prophets, the shepherds, teachers is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Christianity was never meant to be a spectator sport. We're not just simply supposed to, you know, give 10% and sit in an arena once a week. It's about actually being love wherever God has placed us. You, wherever you're at, you can reach people. No one else can reach like you were placed there on purpose for a purpose. And I think Mm -hmm. that's part of what it means to, for me at least, to not just go to church, but to actually be the church. And I just think that it's easy for us to
0: forget all of that, you know? And it's really fun actually to see online the, Uh, The collaboration going on with churches, a lot of big churches like your own or others telling small churches, hey, if if you if we could help you record or learn how to stream or do whatever. I've seen a lot of that going on, which is also really encouraging because churches aren't always known to be good collaborators with each other. Right. Um, And so that I found that encouraging as well. Uh, Well, wanted to read that Facebook post, not just to uh, highlight what you wrote, because (laughs) I thought it was really timely and really important. And you write better online than me. That's why you do a lot of our <laughs> stuff for our show page. <laughs> oh, thanks. That's that's very kind. I appreciate you saying that. Well, coming up next, speaking uh, not speaking of kind, we're going to dive back into uh, some things Jerry Falwell said. Uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. around the coronavirus. We're going to dive into that next here on the Common Good AM eleven six. everybody, welcome back to the Common Good AM 1160 Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined as always by Ian Simpkins. We are glad to have you with us on this Tuesday afternoon. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio show. You can find us online at 1160hope.com. Find us at Twitter. Uh, you can find us there at Common Good Talk. And as always, find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead, subscribe, rate and review. Uh, we're glad for those of you who do that, who listen to the podcast. Well, coming up, we're going to talk about Jerry Falwell Jr. And you might be wondering why we talk about him because he carries a lot of weight in our culture uh, as a representative of evangelicalism. So, uh, regardless of what you think about him, what he says garners headlines. So we're going to talk about that next. But before we do, Ian's got some exciting news about Thrive It.
1: I sure do. Thrive and Financial, some of you may not be aware of this. So they've been uh, they've been serving people for over a century, which is insane. But they're a Fortune 500 not-for-profit insurance and financial services organization. But they're a whole lot more. I would encourage you actually go to ThriveIt.com and just sort of peruse the website. You can learn about all sorts of different things they're doing in the community, which is a big reason why I'm a part of Thrive I'm a Thrive member myself, but especially in this climate, I think this could be for somebody or multiple somebody's a really cool opportunity for a bit of a career change. If you're kind of entrepreneurial or you're good with money or you just want to come alongside people on their wise with money journey, I cannot encourage you enough to at least at least check it out. Go to com slash careers. That's com slash careers. Just to, you could become a member. You could also uh, explore the possibility of maybe even joining the Thrivent team. And I can tell you personally, uh, it's an incredible team and there's all sorts of opportunities for all sorts of different kinds of people. So head on over to
0: com slash careers. So Jerry Falwell Jr. And in- I've had people ask me, why do you even talk about this guy? Because he is the president of, if you take online as well, the largest evangelical college in our country, Liberty University. That's a big deal. Uh, He is uh, prominently uh, interviewed on things like Fox News and other things, oftentimes just uh, in support of the president. But in reality, Uh, Jerry Falwell Jr., for a lot of non-Christians out there, whether you like it or not, is synonymous with evangelicalism. He is kind of one of the faces of evangelicalism. And I'm guessing, Ian, when I say that, I can see you now. It makes you squirm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: I I plead the fifth.
0: (laughs) <laughs> so I want to talk about what Jerry Falwell had to say around the coronavirus because so many people are pastors, faith leaders, but also government officials, in my opinion, are doing the right things. They're striking the right tone. And uh, I think it really hurts the church and evangelicalism as a whole when one of the faces of it uh, acts the way that Jerry Falwell does. So let me read some of this to you. Uh, this is at an article uh, at julieroyce.com. Uh, Nearly 10,000 people have signed a petition urging Liberty University President Jerry Falwell Jr. to extend spring break and move classes online in response to the coronavirus pandemic. So what a lot of schools are doing, my alma mater, Wheaton, your alma mater, Judson, and many, many others. But Falwell, who suggests coronavirus is the next attempt to get Trump, remains defiant. And yesterday, this is two days ago, called a parent of three Liberty University students dummy for objecting. While many colleges and universities are closing in response to coronavirus, Falwell announced on Friday that Liberty will continue to hold in-person classes when students return from spring break on March 23rd. In an interview with Fox and Friends, Falwell stated, it's just strange to me how so many are overreacting. Falwell added that he believes media coverage of coronavirus may be politically motivated. He said impeachment didn't work, and the Mueller report didn't work, and Article 25 didn't work, and so maybe now this is their next attempt to get Trump. Within hours of Falwell's comments, a group of students started a petition. uh, We should be taking action, they wrote, like the other schools in Virginia, and transition to online classes. The petition also noted that Liberty is extremely adept at creating online classes, as over 94,000 are enrolled in their online program. Uh, At the time of that writing, 9,900 people had signed the petition. However, Falwell was unmoved. He said... I don't want to become one of these college presidents who are pushing this problem off on someone else by sending 20-year-olds with zero mortality risk or near zero to sit at home for the rest of the semester, often with grandparents in the house who truly are at risk. In response, Jeff Britton of Chesapeake Bay, he tweeted, he's got kids at at, uh, Liberty. He said, so in seven weeks, you'll send the thousands of students who now have a higher risk of carrying it back to their grandparents to get it. I think this is crazy irresponsible and seems like a money brag, a money grab to this Falwell replied. No, then they'll go off to summer jobs or internships, dummy. So uh, not even comma dummy, just straight, <laughs> straight dummy. And uh, so I don't know. I know this, you know, if you're like me, I'm sure, Ian, this makes you sad. This makes you angry. I'm. I'm really curious, especially the beginning part of that because Sval is not alone in that posture of like this being a big conspiracy, this being overblown, uh, kind of a machismo, kind of a macho. This won't change how I do things. Where do you think that comes from, and and what's the danger of that attitude?
1: Uh, where do I think it comes from? Gosh, I don't know. I think he's probably. It, it's it got to be rooted in some level of experience. And I'm sure he's seen in his uh, tenure media twisting stories or reporting things that weren't a hundred percent true on both sides, you know? So like I imagine he's probably been privy to some of that, which is uh, I imagine part of what's sort of giving him his general posture. But as we talked about earlier in the show too, like the, the posture isn't in his mind that he's being flippant with the pandemic. It's that he doesn't actually believe, the pandemic is nearly as big a deal as everyone is telling them that it is. Right. Uh, the part that's a little bit, a little more on the nose for me is I can't in a million years ever imagine my college president saying something like this, particularly in an environment like Twitter, like yeah. calling someone dummy. Like, are we really at the point where we can't disagree with somebody With that, or just not saying anything at all, you know that's also an option. So like that, that's not really what you wanted to talk about. It's not really about the story, but at the very least, like, have we, have we lost the capacity to be, like, decent people in our disagreement? And yeah, the whole other added later element is that he's got a lot of authority and a lot of influence and a lot of power, which is why this person tweeting I think is concerned because he's saying, man, if this, if you're wrong, you you are potentially endangering a whole lot more people. And I think Falwell just sort of doubled down like, well, I'm not wrong. So, um, I think in his mind, maybe he feels justified in using some of that light at the very least again, in the, in the heartbeat of the show of like finding some common space, this is like an example of maybe not how to do that.
0: Yeah. It's just, there's the arrogance that bothers me, but man, it's also the, um, yeah, it's the political politicization of this that we talked about earlier in the show that is just mind numbing to me. Like if if we can't get on the same page about this, <laughs> then uh, then we're in trouble. There is an update due to Virginia Governor Ralph Northam's emergency ban on public gatherings of 100 people. Falwell has announced that Liberty will transition most of its classes to an online digital format starting March 23rd. We originally believed it was safest to return our students following their spring break instead of having them return following greater, following greater exposure opportunities from leaving them in different parts of the country. But the governor's recent decision to limit certain gatherings have left us no practical choice because we have so many classes of more than 100 students. We want to provide for the continuity of our students' education while doing what makes sense to help slow the spread of the coronavirus to our university, family, and local community. That takes a much more measured tone. Uh, the cynic in me is going to say somebody else wrote a really nice statement for him there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. You're probably not wrong. <laughs> uh, but at least the right steps are being taken. You can find that on our Facebook page. Would love your feedback to that. Well, coming up next, uh, Christianity Today, uh, an article about the Psalms and the secret and the courage of confession. That's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. everybody, welcome back to The Common Good AM 1160, Hope for Their Life. Uh, my name is Brian Fromm, joined by Ian Simpkins. We hope that you're having a good day amongst all the craziness of this day and this week, uh, what likely is looking like this month, um, amidst this pandemic, and all the fear and anxiety. We do hope you're having a good day It's uh, as this evening starts to come, and uh, we hope that you are uh, making the best of it. And we're glad that you're joining us. Whether you're joining us online, you're joining us uh, later on the podcast, or you're joining us uh, old school radio at aml we're glad that you're with us. You can continue the conversation. If you're, you know, you're looking at Facebook, uh, go ahead and find our, our page, the Common Good Radio Show. You can find that on Facebook. If It's there that we put shows. Uh, we put old articles that we've talked about. Uh, we'd love to have you join us there on Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can find our uh, old shows uh, or you can see our smiling faces at 1160hope.com and find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, review. And uh, we did want to talk about an article before we end the show today at Christianity Today uh, entitled this. This is written by David uh, Taylor. It says this, whatever your secret sins, the Psalms will give you the courage to come clean says, hiding from God and neighbor is dehumanizing, but honest prayer and confession bring healing and freedom. So these, this idea of confession and the healing that comes from confession is the point of this article. Ian, why don't you tell us a little bit of what's going on in this article?
1: Yeah, I mean, this article opens up with the bang. It says, in February 1995, I confessed my sins publicly in front of 500 fellow students at the University of Texas at Austin. Wow. This took place at a concert of prayer sponsored by a parachurch campus ministry, standing on the auditorium stage of a large classroom. I confessed the sins of lust, pride, impatience, anger, and others I have now forgotten. While I had previously confessed my sins to a pastor or a group of friends, I had never confessed my sins publicly, and it is rather terrifying. Everyone, of course, has a secret for some it is an addictive behavior for others it is an abusive or traumatic experience that may only intensify feelings of shame still others it is the fear of being rejected the lust for power and uncontrollable temper emotional infidelity a vicious prejudice and insatiable jealousy of others repeated acts of self indulgence and so on whatever they may be with with our secrets we hide we hide from others and we hide from ourselves ultimately we hide from God and in our hiding we choose darkness over light we embrace death instead of life we elect to be lonely rather than to be relationally at home with others. The Psalms understand the human condition. In them, we see a mirror of humanity at its best and at its worst. We see our very selves reflected back, be faithful soul or be he a sinner, as Athanasius once described the experience of looking at the Psalms. If we wish to flourish in, in our God-given calling, then our secrets must be brought into the light so we are no longer governed by their corrosive and destructive power. And if we desire to be truly alive, we must abandon all our efforts, not just to hide our secrets, but also to justify them. This is what the Psalms help us to do, to tell our secrets faithfully. I was just actually having this conversation a couple days ago about confession. We're writing a series on uh, the Lord's Prayer. Mm. And I was reminded of, uh, of James, you know, as you know, is the half brother of Jesus, who writes this like really practical book. And one of the statements that he makes that always stood out to me he said, uh, "Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, so that you may be healed." i mm. are always thinking, like, what does healing have to do with confessing? And I, if you've ever had to actually speak something out loud to another human being, um, there really is a sort of healing that takes place. But for at least for me, for years, confessing to like God in my mind was enough. Yeah, and and still keep doing that for sure. But there is something different though, and and I'm not necessarily saying do it in front of 500 of your peers, but (laughs)
0: there
1: there really is a power to actually, in your own words, like owning whatever that secret is. And I think that's part of what he's getting at here is that the Psalms actually help us to do exactly
0: that. Absolutely. So uh, two questions. The first one is... um, what then stops us from doing that? If if the general t- tenor is, hey, when we confess to one another, whether it be one or two other people or a group of people or whatever, uh, that, that it brings some semblance of healing uh, and cleansing, what is it that, what's the block there? What stops most of us from doing that?
1: I, I think it's shame. I think it's guilt. Mm-hmm. I think we don't really take Things seriously like there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I think we also probably in a lot of ways maybe believe that theologically or like celestially. Like, well, we know that God accepts me, but I don't. I don't want my peers to think less of me. I think we just get we get stuck in that. I think we hold on to those things. I think the dark light metaphor is a good one there. I think those things grow in darkness, though. The only way to overcome them really is to drag them out in the light. But I think. I, I mean, everyone wants to be well-liked. Everyone wants to be perceived as the best version of themselves. It's why I think, you know, if you've ever talked to an addict before and they talk about hitting rock bottom, if mm. they've made it uh, to the other side of sobriety, um, there's almost sometimes an affection in hindsight when they talk about hitting rock bottom. For most of us hitting rock bottom is like, Buch, that just sounds terrible. And it is terrible. It's awful. It's terrible. But if you if you talk with someone on the other side of healing, though, they'll talk about it like that was the thing, that was the catalyst where I, I didn't have to, pre- I couldn't pretend anymore. Like I, I ran out of options, and that's how I've been able to heal. I think that's part of how confession works. It's it's we think that we're like keeping things under wraps, trying to control by like holding onto these secrets and white knuckling them and not telling anybody. And I, it's if you've ever experienced just the freedom and love of like confessing to someone and having them receive you as you are and to speak love over you and to remind you that Jesus loves you. That's so much more freeing than like trying to maintain this version of yourself that I think a lot of us are trying to, trying to curate, you know?
0: Yeah. Let's keep going with this. So somebody out there is listening right now going, yeah, I, I, wow, I kind of believe this and I've got this, uh, this for lack of a better term, secret sin going on in my life right now. That is causing me an immense amount of shame an immense amount of just burden, um, pastorally, how what what's a first step? How how what, somebody's going? Yeah, I I actually believe you, Ian. What what's the first step? Is it confession to a friend? Is it a is it a pastor? Is it a group? How would you counsel somebody to even start down this road? I don't
1: even know that there's a particularly right answer. I think I think first first start with confessing to God. And one of the hardest things I think in confession is to be silent afterwards to like speak it to God and just sit in God's forgiveness for a moment, like hmm. just maybe even, you know, like picturing God holding you, embracing you, like that kind of stuff can be really helpful, I think. But then the next step I would say is probably a trusted friend. Um And there's a, you know, there's a dark side to this too. Some people will air all their dirty laundry that's all right. the time, like on Facebook for everyone to see. I don't think that's necessarily healthy either, but like, finding someone, like, just imagine, put put yourself in the shoes of this friend that maybe you're imagining. Like, if somebody called you up and said, hey, can I just get some stuff off my chest? Not only would you say yes, but you'd be honored to be trusted with it. Right, I think we right. often forget that other people feel that way about us, that, you know, it's like, I don't want to put them out or it might be weird. Like, yeah, it probably will be uncomfortable, but the person will be, I think, honored that you, you, you felt safe enough to share that with them. And, and it's something that you can journey together. If you're a, if it's a trusted friend, they're not gonna, they're not gonna spit in your face. They're not gonna shame you. They're not gonna guilt you. Like it might be awkward and, you know, brace for that. But I think embracing the
0: awkward in a lot of ways is where, is where the healing is found. Hmm. And the alternative that you already touched on of just shouldering this by yourself, trying to keep it hidden. That's so many of us live that way. Like that's, yeah, that's right. the alternative that many of us embrace. Uh, that leads to a lot of bad places, <laughs> right? It leads exactly. to a lot of, like you said, shame and, you know, guilt, um, physical issues. And, and it just kind of, you end up trying to spend more time trying to hide it from people, whatever it is, than allowing healing when things are brought to the light, uh, you know, that's pretty biblical West things are brought into the light but right. that that's where healing begins. And so, Uh, yeah, I I think you're on to something. I think the Psalms are on to something. I've never really thought of the Psalms that way either. Um, But that as we come out of hiding before God and before others, uh, that there is healing. What's one word of encouragement you give to that person out there who's like, I'm not sure I believe you. (laughs)
1: Uh, That's a good question, man. I think our capacity for self-deception is much higher than any of us think. I think Mm. a lot of us think we're probably better at hiding it or keeping it under wraps than we really are. And, um, it's sort of like, it's not quite the same, but when Jesus, I think he's in the gospel of John, he says, do you want to know if I'm legit? Uh, then do the things I'm teaching you and tell me if it doesn't change your life. Like that's obviously a paraphrase, but I, I think it's, it's the same with generosity. It's the same with service. I think yeah. confession is one of those things that feels very counterintuitive until you actually do it and receive healing from it. And you think, why have I been putting this off for so long?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So we'd encourage you, uh, if this is something that you need, to, we all need to grow in. But if this is something, if there's something burdening you right now, we'd encourage you take that step. Uh, your first step might be reading this article, so you can find it at our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. Well, we do want to end the show with some levity the way we always end the show. Uh, interweb Insanities. We're going to do that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope- hey, everyone.
1: It's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was, and it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop. Uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to, to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com
0: today some weird stuff we found on the internet here's some more weird stuff we found on the web well that music can only mean one thing it's the end of the show interweb insanities the way we do this if you're new to the show is that our producers either john or keith they find crazy stories from the internet that we've not read we have no idea until we read them to you Uh, sometimes they're funny Sometimes they're, uh, they they make us squirm a little bit, uh, but we enjoy doing these together. So this is Interweb Insanity. Ian Simpkins, you go first.
1: I also want to say I think it's important that we do this now more than ever. <laughs>
0: I agree. Everyone, some, laughs, some levity,
1: every, right? Everyone's stressed. Everyone's freaking out a little bit. Maybe uh, ending the show with some nonsense is maybe there's a maybe there's some theological wisdom to that, May, or Agreed. maybe it's maybe it's a dumb idea. Who knows? Uh, this one's <laughs> out of Nebraska. Uh, teens get played by a possum they were trying to kill. What? <laughs> Golly. I take back everything I just said. Uh, a group of Lincoln teenagers were fooled by a possum, by a, a possum? That should be an so. right? They were reportedly trying to kill and earned a lecture about the dangers of dealing with wild animals from a police officer. The three boys, ages 14, 16, and 17, were attempting to kill an opossum near Peter Pan Park. This. <laughs> <laughs> can't be real. <laughs> Around 11 p.m. Tuesday, because it was gross. That was a quote, by the way. The animal, doing what it does best, played dead, and the boys ultimately left it alone. Some nearby residents saw the boys standing over the animal, which they may have believed was a dog, and called the police out of concern. An officer arrived and found the opossum to be uninjured. The officer then educated the teens on the dangers of dealing with wild animals and released them to their parents.
0: Hey, what's your name? My name's Buddy. <laughs> oh. Does someone need a hug? <laughs> I just wanted a hug. Uh, that's, a, that's a great story to start us off on. Here we go from Ohio. <laughs> uh, police department asks for all criminal activity to stop due to COVID-19. Okay. Oh the Struthers police department took to Facebook Thursday to ask that all criminal activity stop during the COVID-19 outbreak due to the coronavirus. The police department is asking that all criminal activities stop until further notice. Thank you for your anticipated cooperation in the matter. We will update you when we deem it appropriate to proceed with your bad selves, the department said. (laughs) That ought to do it. Thanks very much. That's funny. That one's funny. I think uh, hearing you read
1: Proceed
0: with Your Bad Selves. I only read what's put in front of me, man. That's my favorite
1: (laughs) moment from this week so far. I I wonder how many other police departments are like, why didn't we think to even ask? Can you guys just stop breaking the law, please?
0: Yeah, that's
1: funny. All right, this one's out of Belgium. Man arrested after licking finger and rubbing pole on the subway. Gross. A face mask wearing subway rider in Belgium was arrested after he licked his finger and rubbed down a subway pole Monday evening. Amid the country's widening coronavirus scare.
0: The what? The strap Strap hanger. Strap hanger? What is that? The strap hanger. That is a name for one who rides the train. They hold on to the strap.
1: No kidding. Oh, I was putting the P and the H together. I was calling it a strap hanger. Oh, I see. the boat. strap hanger. Got it. Well, he was intoxicated. The Brussels (laughs) (laughs) intercommunal transport company said a 20 second video of the incident posted to Twitter pulled in more than. 28,000 views In the clip The man slides the mask Down his face Dips a finger in his mouth And then squeezes the post
0: That's just disgusting That man should be arrested I'm Yeah, I was uncomfortable it. Reading all of that Yes, I'm okay, I'm okay with that <laughs> uh, Next one's out of Australia Message in the sky Over Australia Wash hands A skywriter encouraged healthy habits amid the coronavirus outbreak by scrawling the words, wash hands in the sky over Sydney, Australia. Witnesses captured video Thursday as a skywriting aircraft wrote the words in the sky over the city. The message appeared to be advice, time to coincide with the COVID-19 pandemic. Experts say washing hands is one important step towards preventing the spread of the virus. The identity of the skywriter was unknown that's good advice you think maybe it was the pole liquor from belgium <laughs> that was his punishment get in that plane and write. <laughs> first off learn to fly second learn to sky write i do like that that uh, my favorite part of that story is people think it's tied to the coat no i think if if you no know, regardless <laughs> that guy would have written wash hands in the sky <laughs> we're gonna
1: we're gonna come <laughs> to find out he was actually trying to write marry me but like didn't, <laughs>
0: but he, he just wrote
1: "wash." his, hands. Bearing, his bearings <laughs> were all off yeah the lord works in mysterious ways All right, last but not least we're gonna end in Illinois man filming long lines at Costco injured after walking into moving car but this is not a happy note to end on a man filming long lines forming at a Costco in suburban Niles was injured when he walked into a slow moving car that was searching for a parking spot Authorities said the 68-year-old man from Chicago's Saganash neighborhood was walking backwards in the parking lot of a Costco and Niles to film or to photograph the long lines at the shopping center. While doing so, he walked into a slow-moving vehicle, which was rolling through a lot, attempting to find a parking spot. vehicle was a 2016 Honda Odyssey being driven by a 69-year-old man from Chicago's O'Hare neighborhood. Uh, Authorities said the pedestrian who walked into the minivan was later taken to Lutheran General Hospital with arm.
0: Uh, with arm pain from the crash. That was really stupid. There have been some crazy pictures of the Costco lines. that. Uh, <laughs> That's true. Are
1: they still going out of samples? No?
0: No, that stopped like a week ago. They I, shut, know. It I know. shut it down. shut it down. Oh, you know. (laughs) I'm like, breaking news. No, they're not. (laughs) Thanks, Brian. Oh, Well, we're glad you joined us today. I know it's a strange Tuesday, but we're glad that you were with us. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We'll be back tomorrow from 4 to 6. You've been listening to The Common Good. AM 1160. Hope for your life. (laughs)